All right, everybody. I know it's been literally ages. I think like three months at this time, but we are back for episode 105 of the Woso Independent Podcast. Uh, really hope everybody's doing okay. We are recording this on late Friday afternoon, uh, Eastern time. Uh, obviously in the middle of uh, a pandemic. Uh, I'm safe. My co-host John Lipsitz is, is safe and we're hanging in there. Um, but today we're going to talk about the NWSL Challenge Cup, kind of preview things there. Uh, but John, how are you doing in these times? Um, doing really well. Doing really well. Um, you know, it's been interesting, obviously. These are all new times and especially spending a lot of time on Zoom calls with youth players and just reassuring and saying, let's be safe, but um, getting to see each other has been, um, you know, really a, a special few months trying to help people. And uh, But it's exciting now to move back towards the NWSL. And even uh, with all the difficulties and craziness, it's, it looks like it's going to happen and can't wait. Yeah, I mean, you know, personally, I, I need some entertainment in my life just because, uh, you know, as as a college educator, uh, having to go online in the middle of the semester uh, with with four classes of students, I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, the NWSL obviously additionally had their their season interrupted. Um, but I think the good news is we've got a tournament where hopefully we're going to get one month of uninterrupted action. Uh, by all accounts, this is going to be the season for 2020. I think I read that they, you know, basically they're going to handle this as the season. The only way there'd be more games is if home market stadiums would open up to a lot of people, which is obviously not going to happen. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, we get a vaccine, hopefully within the next uh, nine months or so, and we can get back to a normal service. Uh, next year, when hopefully Louisville, uh, you know, joins and we have 10 teams at least. Not holding my breath on other expansion yet, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get to some actual women's soccer action. Um, additionally, just want to mention before we kind of dive into that, uh, congratulations to Australia and New Zealand for winning the rights to host the 2023 Women's World Cup. Uh, I think that's going to be an amazing tournament. And I'm, I'm really happy that Australia and New Zealand uh, are getting the honor of hosting that competition. Yeah, it's a it's a great choice. Uh, I think so well deserved and uh, a really special place uh, to have the tournament. You know that, and we'll get into it in the long run. The the interesting thing about them actually being in different federations. I mean, you know, at different areas now uh, is interesting. And Australia pulling out and going to Asia for the for the men's side more. But um, I, I don't think that matters, but I do think it's interesting. But yeah, it was a really exciting moment. And uh, I'm glad that there was a choice made uh, that makes sense right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about the, the, the Challenge Cup today. We're going to try to preview each team a little bit. Um, so essentially, uh, let's, let's take the elephant in the room first off. I'll talk about Orlando. Uh, so for those, I'm, I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you know, what's up with Orlando in terms of them having to pull out, uh, because of positive COVID tests. 
there have been kind of musings uh, that some of the test results have been inconsistent, um, but that's kind of a moot point at this point because they are withdrawn and they're going to stay that way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an ideal situation, obviously. I think that um, there, there needed to be some criticism because there were players that were going out. Um, but at the same time, as the case always seems to be with women's soccer online culture, and I don't want to limit it to women's soccer culture because this is kind of every corner of pop culture overreacts now. Um, I think enough is enough and it's, it's time to move on. It's obviously bad situation really sucks for the players, staff, fans, et cetera. But, you know, I don't, I don't think piling on at this point is really going to help out. I agree completely. I mean, look, people messed up. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and I'm not trying to take away from that or defend that, but at the same time, I'm going to come back to everything we're going through right now is the first time and is new. And after we get over the initial, well, you know, this sucks and people messed up and all that, learning from it and continuing to educate and this is going to work, this isn't, um, I, I think is really the way to go here. So I agree with you. And, and, um, you know, I've said a lot on Twitter about it, especially about some individuals which, uh, you know, were really being attacked, um, you know, and, and, and wanted that to stop. But uh, look, this could have been something that could have really derailed this tournament. And the tournament, ironically, probably works great with eight teams. Everything's fine. I feel really badly for people that can't be there. Um, but the tournament's going to be success. It's going to be great. And other groups now can really learn from this and continue to educate about why it's so important to stay in a bubble. Yeah. And it's, I'm just thankful this was caught before they traveled out. Right. Um, good point. At that point, you were looking at a potential disaster. Correct. Um, Correct. So. And you got CBS involved and all this going on and then, you know, it doesn't happen. And look, just just you're absolutely right. Getting this started and again, remembering this is the first league starting back up and having this go positively is huge for sports and jobs, you know, that are involved with it and all that. So I really like the way you started that, Chris, with, you know, moving forward and and uh, and being positive. All right, so we're going to kind of give a brief overview of the eight teams that will be participating at the Challenge Cup. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, format, everybody's going to play four other teams. Uh, so everybody's in, in one giant group. Uh, after those four games, teams are going to be seeded based on the performance in the group stage, and then it just becomes a basic knockout tournament. Uh, no consolation games. Interestingly enough, no extra time uh, in any of these games. If they're tied at the end of regulation in the knockout phase, we go straight to penalties. Um, let's see what else. Oh, five substitutions as has kind of been the norm for all soccer leagues once they've come back. You have to make those in three windows. Uh, so kind of 
maintain the flow of the game. Um, and yeah, uh, the one thing I will say that I, I do kind of wish was in play was some kind of reward for the team that wins this tournament. Um, you know, something like an extra draft pick. You know, I don't know. I just I would just like a, a different kind of carrot, uh, you know, for the team that wins. Um, but I mean, basically everything is kind of going to work out um, or everything will work out with 18. It's kind of symmetrical. Uh, I will say I, f- I kind of find it interesting in terms of strength of schedule. Once everything was kind of reworked after Orlando had a withdraw, it seems like strength of schedule worked out where the teams that are lower ranked in most people's power rankings have the easier schedules and the teams that are higher ranked have the more difficult schedules. And I kind of found that really interesting. You know, I wonder if that wasn't to create exciting matchups um, for people to watch uh, because it is, I mean, it's, it's pretty stark. I mean, it's, it's obvious. Um, And and I think that, you know, you want to see those big matchups, but we're also going to have quarter semis finals for that. So it is interesting. Um, you know, I'm glad that there isn't going to be a team eliminated because of unequal schedule and unequal strength of schedule. I think that's a positive of the way it is now. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the matchups for the top teams, uh, but it's going to be exciting. All right. So let's begin our team by team brief previews with the Houston dash. So the dash, um, Made some moves, which I think everybody everybody agreed they needed to make some moves and shake things up because it didn't really go that well last season. Uh, kind of the biggest moves, of course, so they traded uh, Kalia Watts to Chicago. They, um, they, they traded Amber Brooks to the rain. Um, so some of the players they got, you know, they got Katie Naughton. They got Shea Groom. Um, they got Katie Stengel from Utah and they signed some, they signed some players as well, such as Lindsay Harris, uh, Bariba Sali, who had played overseas. Um, and it's kind of interesting, um, because I've seen some previews basically saying the dasher and win now mode, as opposed to some other franchises that may be just trying to kick the tires on some of the younger players and, and determine what they have in them in this tournament. Um, you know, I, if you've been following me on Twitter, you know that I am pretty much the low vote on Houston. I, I think they're, I think they lack overall quality. I think they're going to finish dead last. Um, you know, but those are just kind of my initial thoughts. I know we can dive in a little more detail, uh, in a little bit. So I think one of the interesting and, and to get a little tactical about a tournament setting, I think one of the interesting things is how are coaches going to play the three games, knowing that you're not going home at the end of the three games, knowing that you have an opportunity to um, get through no matter what, I, I think may show some coaches go, eh, whatever. I mean, in your, it's not even home field advantage, right? It's not even, well, we have to finish one through four and then we get to host the home game. So what I'm interested to see is how much some coaches place importance on winning those first three games versus keeping everyone fresh. 
and I think that's a very, very big issue for Houston, Chris. You know, if they start, if they want to play their entire roster, if they want to really not emphasize where they place, they could, I think then they're in some real trouble. They just don't have the depth. Uh, but I will say this, uh, they have a massive advantage if they go to penalties. Uh, and if I were them, I would lock down, play for zero, zero and try to, I, I would, I would try to be in as many penalty shootouts as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think. I'm not think saying they, they can do it, but. I yeah, I mean, I, I think my thing with them is uh, where is the depth defensively? They basically they basically cut half of their defense. Uh, you know, we can we we can get into how cheap they are in terms of them only taking 24 players when the limit is 28. But they basically have, you know, they have five listed defenders. You know, they have Chapman, Naughton, Oyster, Prysock and Simon. Uh, I think, you know, I think Chapman, Naughton, and Oyster are stone cold locks of starters. Uh, you know, Ali Prysock had her moments last year, um, but you know, I, I don't think people would argue she's great right now. Uh, you know, Aaron Simon was not good enough to play in the NWSL the first time. Uh, you know, she was in there with Sky Blue, and you know, who else can play on the back line? Well, Sophie Schmidt can play at center back. Not the best option, in my opinion. Uh, there, Haley Hansen. If the dash, if the dash come out and play Haley Hansen at right back, I'm going to scream, uh, both in real life and on Twitter as well, because she should absolutely be sent a center midfielder uh, for this team. She's a six. She can't. Yeah, just I'm with you. She's a six. Uh, and so I think the big question defensively is, who do you play at right back? Are you going to? Uh, you know, play Aaron Simon there. Are you going to play Bridget Andrzejewski there? Um, but the thing that really worries me is this is a tournament where the rules say if you get two yellow cards, you are suspended for the next match, just like an international tournament. And this is a team of players like Alicia Chapman who are known for getting booked and playing very physically. What happens if you have a player, you know, getting suspended? Um, I, I, I just, that's my main worry for the defense is if you have an injury or, you know, a suspension or two, I think they could fall apart. And I think that's important because last year, penalty stops aside, Jane Campbell did not play that well. Uh, you know, she was easily one of the worst two goalkeepers, starting goalkeepers in the league along with Ashton Harris. Um, so I, I, th- I have real questions about this team defensively, especially considering this is a short tournament played at altitude and their, and the roster lacks depth defensively. Well, I, I can just tell you it, it, for me, it's a no brainer with this team and with the lack of depth, especially defensively. If you have a player, cause I'm assuming I haven't looked Chris, but I'm assuming if you get your second yellow card, in your third game, you sit out the quarters. Like, it's not resetting, right? Well, it's it's four games in the group stage, not three. Four, sorry. But at the end of that, you, you yeah. know, it the, doesn't the cards reset. Do not, the cards do not reset until after the quarterfinal. Right, exactly. So we don't have that, you know, anything like that. If If you are going into your last game before the quarters and you have a player with a yellow, 
Houston cannot play that player. Just don't even put him in uniform. Don't even tempt yourself. I mean, who? Ca- I don't care what the score is of that last preliminary game. I don't know how you can take a risk. And, and I think that's what you're going to, which is the decisions that are made there have to be perfect. You can't have injuries. You can't have suspensions. Uh, I, I do think that there could be a lineup on the field, um, especially if you draw a line of confrontation, you do not high press, you sit in, you have Stengel as that player that can hold up play, which he is so good at. You have players like Groom and Daly and Mewis just running uh, off of her. I think you could set up something here that could that could be okay. I'm not sure that they're that that I have them absolutely eighth, but I have them bottom two for sure. But you've got to get it right, and um, we haven't yet seen that they've done that. And so I think that'll be really, really interesting. Uh, I agree with you about Campbell. She did not have a good year last year, but again, once you get to elimination time, uh, like I said, it's zero, zero trust her for PKs. Yeah. It's, I think you basically, you mentioned my starting front four, like exactly. I have Mewis as the 10 and daily and groom as wingers and Stengel as a center forward. And, I mean, to me, that's just a stylistic thing. I don't think his team yeah. can survive if they don't defend deep and play on the counter. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I've been seeing projected lineups where they have Daly, Prince, and Groom on on the front line. I'm like, you know, basically, you know, to me, that tells me, especially with Prince in there, that you're going to press higher up the field. If you do that, I mean... I think there's big problems afoot. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't actually think this is a team. No matter what players you put on, that can high press. That that's absolutely 100%. And you and I, if, if Houston is playing high pressure, you and I will be texting like crazy the first 10 minutes of the game, saying it's over. They they cannot win that way. But I like that idea of Groom and Daly coming from underneath because they're both players that are built to be fantastic on the counterattack. I mean, we've seen this with Daly over and over. If you allow Daly to have space to then go 1v1 to get in behind, um, she's just special. And we, and we all know about, you know, Shea Groom's ability with that. And so you want those players coming from underneath the play, not being back to pressure early. Uh, I just think that's absolutely critical. So I, I agree with you that their strongest lineup has Daly and Groom coming from underneath. I think Mewis is obviously a clear, you know, 10 for them. Um, but again, they're not one of the most talented teams, but I think there are there is a clear tactical way that they can do uh, their best in this tournament. If they're looking at this as it's time to win, this is the lineup that can win this thing. Uh, I, I think that's a really rough way to look at this. I mean, you're of course, as a coach, you know, as a staff, Hey, we're playing to win and all this, but um, this is a great time for Houston to see who can do this uh, in a year, a year from now, uh, much more than winning to me. Yeah. And and I think rotation amongst not just Houston, but all teams is going to be key for those four games. So I think we're going to we're going to see, I think I'll probably say Nichelle Prince and and, um, and Shea Groom are probably going to start a couple games each. 
Yeah, like, absolutely. They'll, they'll come off the bench when, when they aren't playing. And I think Chris, Christine Nairn may play, um, may start a game or two as well. I just think, though, beyond once you get past those two or three players, I think I think the bench is really weak here. Yeah. Um, you know, there are players, you know, granted, there are players of potential. I know a lot of people like Veronica Latsko, um, but, you know, you're talking about players like Caleb McCoy, who missed a lot of last season due injury. CC Kaiser was disappointing as a rookie. Um, basically, if I, I think the Dash are tested through their depth, uh, I think it could be painful in some of these games. Um, so... I- I do want to say, though, Chris, because you mentioned uh, Andrzejewski playing uh, right back. I do want to say that while we know it's a massive step up, even for the best players when they suddenly come in the league, and we know that she will have moments where uh, veterans or the game are a little quick and, and she could struggle at times. That's normal, right? I do want to say I sort of feel like it's a coming out party at the same time. I think she is going to be a special right back in this league. I don't think she's just going to be adequate or have a good career. I think she is a potential long-term all NWSL right back. I, I think that could come in her career. And I'm uh, probably the thing I'm most excited to see is to see, especially if she has Oyster working with her, because I I think Oyster is a brilliant, brilliant mind in the back line. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that we could really see a coming out party. All right, so let's move on to the Portland Thorns. Uh, so I think I had Portland as high as third in my power rankings earlier in the in the in kind of the preseason, off season, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I think I had them. I have them now at fifth, just because it seems like things are not breaking the way they, they, you would ideally look at them for. Yeah. Uh, they are missing AD French through a knee injury. Hopefully that's a minor injury because she does have history of the ACL injury. Uh, Tobin Heath is not participating. We know that Sophia Smith I don't, is probably not going to play um, at least the first game. Same with Kat Reynolds. Um, and, it just seems like they have so many things working against them. Earlier in the offseason, there were there were kind of mentions that they were going to be linked to uh, some big-name international players, which really did not develop uh, because of the COVID crisis. Uh, and, you know, I, I think they're really up against it. I, I don't want to knock them kind of down to that bottom tier because they've got some great players. Uh, I think the spine of this team can still be really strong because you've got Emily Manges and Becky Sauer on at center back. Uh, you know, you have Haran, Rocky Rodriguez, Christine Sinclair kind of as a, as a midfield trio. Um, but there are some definite holes there, and, and maybe even more so than Houston, I think their depth is also kind of worrying. Yeah, this is this is a team... And I think, you know, everything you know about Coach Parsons, this is what I believe is going to happen. I believe you're not going to see a consistent lineup in the preliminary matches. I think that they have a team that in a one-off can beat anybody, especially if um, Smith is back up top and is healthy. By the time they get to that, I think with their center back pairing, uh, you know, Haran, obviously, and Sinclair and Rocky in the middle. I mean, they have the pieces to win the entire thing. 
They really do. Obviously, without A.D. French, it's a different team. And, cause, and that is all tribute to her. She's just so special um, and seems to just play her best with Portland all the time. So, you know, what do I see? I think they have to almost use the four games for development to come together, to um, to rest people, and then go for it after that. I wouldn't want to play this team in the quarterfinals. This is the kind of team that could be fifth, sixth, seventh, probably not that low. I see them as, you know, fourth, fifth, but this is the type of team that, you know, could be fifth, could be fourth, and suddenly you're like, oh, no, here they come in the semi. So um, big, big difference when they change the lineup, Chris, like you said. But ooh, their best is still good enough to beat everybody. Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, we all know, especially now with AD Franch, it's a, it's a, a time when Portland can point to um, the development of some young players. If Smiths ends up getting to play and, and Weaver and, and having them up top, I, I think it's a really exciting time for the future. Obviously getting Sauerbrunn makes it a really exciting time for the future. Um, but I just think there are too many things going against them to truly believe in the end that they can win it all. Yeah. I think the thing is, you know, some of these players have to work out because they don't have a first round pick next year. Right. Um, and you know, to me, I think two players that are, that are, I'm looking towards has to see how they're going to do is one Brett Eckerstrom for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. you know, she wasn't a disaster last year when she played, but at the same time, you basically saw why she was a backup. And I think the interesting thing is we know Louisville's coming into the league next year, which means there's going to be an additional spot open for a starting goalkeeper. You know, is this her audition, her best chance to make That's the a case great point. To be a starting goalkeeper's league? And, you know, keep in mind, you know, that may not be a, just be a Louisville thing because if we're going to have an expansion draft, this team now has A.D. French, Becky Sauerbrunn, Tobin Heath, Lindsey Rand. At least two of those players are going to have to be exposed to the expansion draft. And there's a decent chance that one of them is going to be taken by Louisville. Um, you know, we know Lindsey Rand's not going anywhere. Uh, could potentially A.D. French be exposed and taken by Louisville? Uh, so, you know, Britt Eckerstrom could be trying to make her case as why she should be the starting goalkeeper here going forward. Uh, the other player I, I think is going to be important that I'm looking towards is Simone Charlie. She's a player that I, I think we were really excited about coming out of, out of college. We were kind of surprised that she didn't get drafted. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people are excited about her this season because we saw what she was capable of in, in Australia in the W League. Uh, this past season. So those are kind of the two players I'm looking towards, especially now with Sophia Smith out, you know, you figure Simone Charlie is going to probably be one of the first players who has that opportunity um, to kind of stake a claim for herself. And I think, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of the interplay between Charlie and probably Morgan Weaver on that front line. So, I, I, you know, I love doing uh, all of these podcasts with you because you think like such a GM and it, it just brings such a, uh, a different look at this, the way you've already talked about Eckerstrom in the future. Uh, it, it's a great point. Uh, this, is, this is a trial. I'll just say it. I think it really is for her. 
Um, your comment about Simone Charlie. Yeah, we've been on the Simone Charlie um, fan club for a long time. And um, she's been putting in the work. Everything that I've heard is she has been putting in tremendous amounts of work on her own. And uh, it's really cool. And I, I think she can do very well in the league. I think that um, it will be interesting to see now getting tactical what Portland style of play is when they have, let's say, Charlie and Weaver up top. Both of them are uh, tough hard 1v1 get in behind right away type of players and I'll be interested to see if this isn't a team who sits in and uses that incredible pace up top to get in behind I think that um, with some of their players right now they are actually a better team exposing teams in behind than having a lot of possession in front. I mean, you lose a player like Heath who is constantly wide and, and you know helps your possession. Uh, I'm not saying they're just going to kick the crap out of the ball, but I think they've actually become a little bit more direct the last few years. And I think that's going to serve them well with their youth up top. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see where the attacking width comes from, just because they don't have Ellie Carpenter now. Right. Uh, right. And I think not having her makes them playing 3-5-2 really, really difficult because, um, you know, I, I don't think they really have a right back that can can you know, provide top tier uh, attacking with. Uh, and, and they don't have Kat Reynolds early on in the tournament, I think, because she's injured. Right. So, you know, they may shift back to a four back. I initially had them in a three, five, two um, with Klingenberg and Reynolds uh, as the wing backs. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder, could they potentially go to a, a narrow diamond, uh, you know, with a four, four, two, and play and, and, and maybe play really narrowly, um, you know, but it'll be interesting. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to do both. I really do. I, I agree with you about uh, um, the issues they have early on. I mean, Chris, I think this is a, this is a great chance for them to try out some different things. And like I said, they don't care about being great until that, until the quarterfinals. And uh, I, I just really see them as a, as a franchise that understands how to get to the end rather than the focus on winning the first. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to go onto the field thinking they're going to lose, but I just, I just think they're in this month for the long haul to see where they end up. Yeah, and, and one final note before we move on, uh, I'm going to be really interested to see Rocky Rodriguez, just because yeah. she's she's always been with Sky Blue, uh, who, who've never really been contenders, and she was outstanding last season for them. Um, yeah. So I will be really interested to see how she integrates into this team. Uh, and I, I think she's a starter in that midfield. I think, uh, you know, I, I think she can she can really hit that next level with this team. Agreed. All right, next up, uh, Chicago. Uh, so I think in my mind, Chicago, like on paper, is the quote-unquote best of the rest uh, after North Carolina. Big question, obviously, is how do they replace Sam Kerr? Um, and, and it seems like, and we've, we've touched upon this in, in past podcasts, that they're kind of taking, taking the scattergun approach to it, where they, they brought in a lot of different forwards who can do a lot of different things. Uh, they, they made trades for Kaylee Watt, uh, Mackenzie Doniak, Rachel Hill. Um, you know, Michelle Vasconcelos was pretty impressive last season until she got injured. 
so that's kind of the big question uh, in in, term, in broad terms of how the team's going to perform. Um, I think I think the way I had them line up was kind of the typical narrow four four two that they've done. I've seen people saying they they want to go play a little bit wider, uh, but I think that and and this may change a little bit now because we know that Tierna Davidson you know it's kind of an injury question. Uh, so they may be forced to put Julie Ertz back on that back line, which would kind of change things up entirely. Um, but to me, I mean, I still think this team is is is, is best in that narrow 4-4-2, given their midfield personnel. Um, but it, it may be a switch to, you know, a, a formation that provides a little more with, you know, outside of the fullbacks. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I agree with you. I think a a 4-4-2 narrow, they've got a great midfield. Um, you know, they can really possess the ball. And I and I think that it will be a Chicago team that keeps it all that they can, plays a huge amount of possession, especially because they're not going to just suddenly score um, you know, with Sam Kerr, where they can just get wide and serve and, and score. So I think they're going to be a very much based in the 4-4-2, lots of possession, keep the ball. They have the midfield to do it. Um, and I think that they could become, along with, you know, probably North Carolina, the big possession teams in this tournament. I think that's going to be really important also for keeping people fresh. The more they have the ball, the more fresh their midfield will stay because I think it's really critical that their midfielders stay healthy, um, especially if they have to move Ertz to the back line. Now they're thinner in the midfield and that they um, avoid suspensions. Yeah, and I think one of the questions I have is how that back line is going to be composed. Uh, so Casey Short and Sarah Gordon seem like locks. Yeah. Uh, Tierna Davidson would be, but she's apparently recovering from an injury, so we don't know how many games, if any, she's going to play, uh, at least in the group stage. Uh, if she doesn't play, uh, I think Julia Ertz has to be on the back line. Um, but who is going to be that kind of fourth defender? Uh, I think I, on paper I had it being Cameron Bogolski. Uh, I know, I know. Rookies are kind of a mixed bag, but I think, you know, her service is great. She was good player. She was by far the best right back in this past draft class. Um, But, you know, you've got other players, you know, like Zoe Goralski that can play there. Bianca St. George is a really interesting player. Uh, So I'm going to be interested to see how Rory kind of forms that back line. And if he gives, you know, a couple different looks in the group stage. Yeah. And, you know, again, as we said, with having the talent that he has, um, as opposed to some other teams, it's less of a risk to be moving people around, keeping them fresh, trying different things. I think that Gordon's tremendous development changes everything for them. I mean, her development to be able to play central and wide uh, has really changed everything that they can do. Um, and I think just high for me, highlighting her play um, and uh, what she brings to this team is one of the critical pieces, because I think you have to be able to move people around in order to win this whole tournament. And uh, especially with Davidson and having a knock, uh, I, I just think that's huge. I do think obviously Biagalski is going to play right back and play quite a bit. 
Um, and I, I, but I, I, for me, it's still a question of where the goal is going to come from. I think that they have really good players and, and different people that can do it, but I think it has to be by committee. And this is a team that I really see having the ability to win, you know, with their and goal to win one, nothing to win two one. And, um, is a team that for me is clearly the number two team, uh, going into the, into the tournament. Yeah, I mentioned this on Twitter, but I think they can win ugly. Uh, I mean, we saw before the era of Sam Kerr and before the era of Christian Press leading the offense when really at the beginning of the NWCL's history where they didn't get good allocation at all and they were really lacking of true offensive talent where Rory Danes just basically made it ugly, played defensive soccer, uh, and, and grinded things out. And I think he can do that again. And... Um, that being said, I mean, I, I think I think he's going to hit on at least one of the forwards he picked up. I think, you know, Rachel Hill or Mackenzie Doniak or Kalia Watts, somebody's going to take that step forward. Uh, it's just a matter of who it's going to be and, and what things look like. Um, I mean, like you said, I, I think I think they're the best of the rest. I think they're clearly number two ranked, you know, in my mind. Um, and I would be surprised if they're not at least in the semifinals of this tournament. I agree. Definitely. All right, let's move on to North Carolina. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about North Carolina that probably hasn't <laughs> I mean, they're clearly the best team in this tournament. I think the only way they don't win is if they get caught somehow with a really, really bad finishing day and somebody sneaks a 1-0 win. Um, or if they get hit with a ton of injuries or a ton of suspensions. But I, I just don't see that happening. I think they have so much depth uh, and so much quality that they just stand out above everybody else. And I don't think anybody else in the league has taken a big enough step towards North Carolina uh, to, to really have them be anything but favorites in this tournament. Yeah, I feel like everybody else in the offseason or players not coming uh, have lost things, right? And so you look at, okay, how is this, um, how would this gap get smaller? Well, the gap will get smaller by North Carolina having a bad draft, um, North Carolina losing players, other people picking up. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the opposite has happened. I mean, you know, great draft players that fit so well. um, And then you add to that, uh, it seems like overall good health, ready to go. Um, I, I just... I feel like the gap has gotten bigger, not smaller. I really do. I agree with you. And the other thing that, and I don't think this has been talked about enough, but what has changed the most for me in the last two years for this group is going from a team that was at their best with 40 to 45% possession to a team that keeps the ball and scores on counterattacks. They developed into the team that can play always against all teams. And when you have that in a tournament setting, it, it's just so hard to beat them because it doesn't really matter. Again, unless you have one of these crazy days, it just doesn't matter. They have every tool, every style, every ability, and the depth. Uh, I think that gap between them and the other teams is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, and... How, when you look at it, it, it's basically the starting lineup is generally going to be 10 of the same 11. 
right. you know, when they're when they're at full strength. And and keep in mind that Merritt Mathias is not going to play. She she's still recovering from the ACL tear she suffered late last year. Uh, and Jessica McDonald is at least going to miss the first game through injury as well. Um, but I mean, in terms of the McDonald thing, they can just plug in Kristen Hamilton uh, or right. Allie Watt, and they're probably going to be fine. Um, oh darn! We'll just plug in Allie Watt. How many years ago did we talk about Allie Watt being like a star in the NWSL? <laughs> I mean, Chris, that was what four years ago, three years ago. And, well, I mean, we, we mentioned her as a potential number one pick. Right. Uh, and, you know. and what's the perfect team for her to go to? The style, the perfect team. And there she is on that team, right? I mean, you're right. It's just a perfect plug and play. But, I mean, the big question, of course, is, is what they're going to do at right back. Uh, so yeah. a lot of people, myself included, kind of plugged Haley Mason there. Uh, Paul Riley basically says... You know, Mace's future uh, is as an attacking player. It's always take everything Paul Riley says in public with a grain of salt. Uh, I would not be surprised if she's an attacking player in this tournament. I would not be surprised if she's at right back in this tournament. Um, but the question is, like, if she's not at right back, who do you stick back there? Early kind of indications are, are potentially Haley Harbison. Um who, who was draft pick in 2019, but missed the season because of injury. It's a little, it's a little concerning, you know, basically playing your first professional games in kind of a, in a tournament setting. Um, but, you know, they, they signed Lindsay Agnew, of course. Um, but that's really the only kind of question mark I have. Um, you know, otherwise, this team still looks as good as, it, as it's been. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting you say about Agnew. How many players are we going to have that get get to go from Houston to North Carolina and probably cheer on their way uh, on their way from one place to the other? I, I just uh, I think whether it's Harbison or Agnew or Shared, the reason and you're right to talk about what is it like to start out there with your career, but they're going to be so high up on the field. You know, the most difficult thing if you're just starting your career at a right or left back is being isolated in your own ends, trying to keep somebody from getting a goal or serving a great seven or 11 playing against you. And I'm not saying that will never happen in this tournament, but when you're a fullback for North Carolina, the vast majority of your time is spent in front of the midline, past the midline. And even if you make a mistake there, you have a massive amount of help still because of the, the length of the field. And you usually are getting the ball um, with cover with a midfielder that can easily double down. And so defensively, you're not isolated as much and you get great confidence from getting forward, serving balls and getting involved in the offense. So I think that um, play, that problem at right back for them is smaller than the same thing for any other team. Yeah, it's, I mean, when we're talking about other teams, we're talking about multiple weaknesses, uh, whereas North Carolina, it's really one question. Yeah, uh, it's a question, and we don't even know if it's a weakness, right? I mean, and you're right, maybe they, maybe they just put Mace there. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, even though Paul Riley, you know, said it, but we'll see. But I know Vlacko would love to see her there. So we'll see what happens, but... Um, I mean, do you agree with me that the gap has gotten bigger, not smaller in the last year? 
Yeah, I mean, basically, the teams that we think have made the most improvement aren't the teams that are kind of close to that top tier. They're teams like right. Scott Blue. Whereas, right. teams like Chicago, whereas teams like Chicago and Portland are the ones that are basically having to rebuild. So, yeah, the gap, in my opinion, just like you said, is getting bigger. Right. All right, Sky Blue FC. Uh, so, kind of a nice transition. We just talked about how they had made big gains. Um, I think the one thing we will point out is that they are already kind of in a hole in this tournament because they're missing Carly Lloyd. Mallory Pugh, Caprice Didasco, all through injury. Uh, this team didn't have a ton of depth to begin with. Uh, so I think those three injuries are going to hit them pretty hard, especially on the offensive side of the ball. My big worry about them, uh, besides the defense, is that the offense, while they have a lot of potential, it's a big thing to ask them to come straight away into a tournament setting and to be able to you know, be a coherent and dangerous offense. Uh, and... I think the lineup I had, I, I was looking at was Purse, Dorsey, and, and Naho kind of as a front line with VNs playing as a 10 role, uh, being allowed a little room to both playmake and, and to run at defenses. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's a lot of pieces you're asking to be able to gel in a short period of time. And it's not a, it's not a dilemma that, is unique to them. We just talked about Portland with having to bring in players like Morgan Weaver and Sophia Smith. Um, but I think the thing with Sky Blue is that their defense is probably not going to be that great in this tournament. So there's even more pressure on that offense to kind of deliver the goods. And I have real questions about that. Yeah, I have real worries about their defense. I mean, look, we, you know, they certainly need uh, Sheridan to have a, a MVP level season again. Um, in the goal, I, I do worry about their their defense being able to um, handle uh, an entire tournament, uh, especially with a lack of depth. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll come back to two things. One, they don't need to win. They need to look better, and I think they will. They're developing. Uh, they are clearly a team, uh, unlike, let's say, Houston, that's not saying, hey, we got to do it now. It's time. They know they're in development mode. And I think there's a real freedom when you're in development mode to just go out and play, to just put things together, to try things. And I think that's very important for this team's development. Now, I mean, obviously, if they go out on the field and they they have big, big losses, that's not positive for development. But I just don't think that's going to happen. And, and I don't think anyone in this tournament is probably going to be great enough, especially early on um, and and playing well enough together, especially early on uh, to blow anybody out. So uh, I see it as a developmental time. I don't think their defense is is nearly good enough at this point. Um, so that's but I think that's fine. Just look better and continue to get better. And will you save in more positive things in a year? Um, the other thing I'm looking forward to is watching the ends play. I really want to see her at this level. You know, um, you and I have been talking about her for years. Uh, I unfortunately was on the end of her coming out party when she was in college. Uh, and I look forward to watching it now, not against her uh, as a pro. And, I, and I'm just excited to see some of these young players get to play. You know, Dorsey continuing to develop. I think that's exciting. But for me, 
watching this team. It's about development and it's about enjoying watching the ends play. Yeah, I really hope Dorsey is not playing as a left back. Uh, I know we all hope that, right? I mean, we we love watching her up top. We all hope that. We'll see what I mean. I mean, they might need it. We don't know. Well, I mean, I was basically in a position saying that she almost had to play left back with that ask of her, but they signed Sabrina Flores, who I think can play left back and who who they really should have signed, you know, when she was a replacement player because she she looked pretty good back then. Um, But I think I think. You know, she has the potential to come right into the team and be a starter there. Uh, to me, though, it's just what do you do with the rest of the defense? Um, I think it's a big mistake if Kaylee Real does not play every game at center back because you've got to find out what you have in her uh, and have to find out if she's the cornerstone you're expecting her to be. So I would hope that she starts every game she can uh, in this tournament. But, but otherwise, I mean... You know, what do you do at right back? I mean, I have Gina Lewandowski plugged in there, but she may not be physically capable of playing right back over four games. Uh, but, I mean, if she doesn't play there, what do you do in terms of playing a right back end? Got Mandy Freeman at center back. Um, I, I think she showed flashes before the, the Achilles injury. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a case. But you of, don't know. You just don't know. You don't know, and that's and that's the thing. I think, I think with me, Sky Blue was a – multiple season rebuilding project. They really addressed the the offense in the last offseason. I think this upcoming offseason, they're going to go hard after, um, you know, improving the defense. Um, the other thing I would worry about is that they don't really have a lot of depth in center midfield. Uh, McCall is your bony, Sarah Waldmo, um, both really, really good. But once they're out of the lineup, the quality drops off a cliff. Uh, and I think you could kind of say that for the rest of the team as well. So um, I think I have I think I have them seventh. To be honest, though, I would not be surprised if they finished last. Uh, but I think they're going to be a better team than they have been. And I think the future is a lot brighter than it has been in a while. It's just that they're going to be dealing with some growing pains in this tournament. Yeah. Um, and two more quick things. I actually, I want to say, first of all, I'm glad you brought up real because when I talk about my concerns on defense, she's not one of them. I, I just, I think she is the cornerstone. I think that, um, I think she's going to have a tremendous career. Uh, obviously, um, you know, you, you have to temper your expectations when players are young, but, uh, I, I agree with you. I would love to see her, her playing as long as she's physically able every minute of every game at center back. I would love it. Um, my other thing, you know, really for them is I want to tactically see how they play. I think that there have been times in the past when we've looked at them and sort of gone, what are they trying to do? You know, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, especially we'd be like, OK, so what's their style? Are they sitting in? Are they pressing? Who are they? I think this year is about saying who they are. Uh, what is their style of play? How do they play? I think the roles and responsibilities of players, I think that is the critical piece. And you're right. It's a multi-year building, rebuilding. They've taken, they've much better. But I, I, I don't want to let go of the fact that I think part of the rebuilding is who are they? And I don't think we've seen that yet. And this is the time to see it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do formation-wise. I think I, I, think mm-hmm. I have in a 4-3-3. Uh, they almost seem kind of set out, you know, in a decent, they're a decent-looking 4-4-2 team, kind of a flat 4-4-2. It's just 
they play that way, I don't think they have enough creativity in central midfield. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, they could potentially play with Dorsey and Naho, um, you know, kind of as the wingers and then have the ends and purse, you know, as, as the center forwards. Um, but they're kind of missing that true number 10 player. And I think that maybe, you know, that's where Carly Lloyd would be, you know, ideally. Right. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And I do agree. I mean, I think two banks of four defensively and in a four, four, two would be great. Um, I personally have them in a four, two, three, one, but it's not any different than your, you know, four, three, three, basically, because all I'm talking about is pulling back to seven and 11 a little bit. It's the same thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see it the way you see it at this point. All right. So the OL rain, uh, newly rebranded team, uh, the rain getting that investment from Leon. And I think I'm, I'm warming up a little bit towards their prospects, uh, in this tournament. And I think, to, I think to me, the biggest questions are dealing with the coaching, um, you know, how is that going to, how, how is he going to respond if they come out, come out a little slow on the blocks? Um, but I think this team has improved. Uh, in many ways in the offseason. I think one of the big questions I had was, what are they going to do to improve their back line? Because, you know, their back line was not good last year. And they really got bailed out by Casey Murphy playing really, really well when she came into the team after all the injuries that their goalkeeper had suffered. Uh, so you're potentially now looking at an entirely new center back pairing. I think it's going to be Alana Cook and Amber Brooks. Obviously, Alana Cook doesn't really do much for you long-term because she's just on a short-term loan. Um, but if you look at Amber Brooks' stats last year, she was near the top of a lot of categories for Houston. And I think, you know, t- to me, she's a player that doesn't get anywhere near the respect she should um, in-, in terms of her level of play because it's been consistently high. And it's really not been her fault that she's been stuck on a bad Houston team all these years. Uh, so I think their center back pairing is going to be really, really improved. Uh, the question, though, on the defense is, is Lauren Barnes going to provide enough attacking at left back, which is, I think, where she's going to slot in. I think she's going to be in the team no matter what. I just think you know, if they're not going 3-5-2, she'll be at the left back position. And then and then right back, you know, who is going to fill that role? Uh, it may be a situation when you get Celia uh you know, playing half of the games, maybe Taylor Swift plays the other half. Um, but that's the real question for me with defense is, is are they going to be good enough at right back? Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I, <laughs> yeah, Brooks has been way under underrated and that was before last year, right? I mean, she was underrated and then she had that type of a year. Uh, that's the player I'm most excited to watch. I am so excited to see Amber Brooks sort of let loose on a uh, back line that I think is much better than she's played with in the past. Uh, and, and I I think this team is really set up uh, very differently than some of the other teams we've talked about, you know, that are sitting really deep. I, I think this is a team that gets the ball, gets in a huge shape, gets their fullbacks high and wide, and um, splits Brooks and Cook, who both can set play, uh, and I just see this team as a real possession team playing in a four, three, three, huge shape, knocking the ball around. Um, you know, Alana cook has the ability and Brooks also to both play the 10 yard, 15 yard ball 
but also to beat a high line with one ball. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that, you know, Murphy's feet also. And so I think when you have with a goalkeeper, three players that can play out of the back like that, you push your fullbacks high, you have long sitting in that hole, of course, which is a perfect thing for her to do. And uh, I think, Almost more, you know, I think Chicago in a smaller shape will do it. And North Carolina will definitely do it. But I think this might be the team on offense that has the biggest, most expansive shape and is trying to play the most possession soccer of any team uh, in the tournament. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in midfield in terms of rotation, because ideally, ideally, I think the the three you're looking at are long Fishlock and Cruz, but Long's getting up there in age. Fishhawk's coming off a serious injury, and Shirley Cruz has had injury problems as well. Hasn't played, you know, at this level in a while. Um, and I, I highly doubt that that trio is going to play all four group stage games. And then, right, you know, who, who do you play? Um, because there are a lot of questions there. Um, you know, Kelsey Edge, high draft pick. Think she's going to get a lot of minutes, but. Other players like Morgan Andrews who've struggled, uh, you know, Daniel Weather, Danny Weatherholt, um, you know, was, was really bad with Orlando. Becca Quinn actually showed decently well last year when she came in with the rain, but you know, there there can't be that drop off, uh, and they've got to rotate because if they if they don't, they're going to have nothing left when it comes to the knockout stage. Uh, and then the front line, I think. I'm going to be really interested to see which personnel plays, you know, out of that front line because they've got a lot of options. They've got more options. They do. Out of other teams. The way I have them set out is Bolster kind of being the spearhead flanked by Darian Jenkins and, and Yuka Mamiki. Um, but at the same time, they traded for Sevilla Huerta. I think she'll get a lot of time on the wing. You've got Jody Taylor who can play at the nine. You've got Jason Spencer who can play the super sub role. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of rotation between those kind of six players as well. Um, but to me, I think the two big questions are, can they hold up at right back? And will the rotation at center midfield work? If they do, I think this is the dark horse team to get to the final. I agree with you because here's what I think. First of all, I'm very high on Kelsey Hedge, and you know that. I, I, I just think she... Kelsey Hedge, as good as she was in college, just really fits the pro game really well. Um, Love Becca Quinn and her comeback, and and you hope that that's going to continue. You mentioned her, and I agree with you. But their depth, again, yeah, it has to work out, but their potential depth at midfield and especially at forward, uh, I just think they're built for the tournament setting. I really do. Um, do I think that this team would be in the finals of an entire season? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think this is a team that is so talent rich. If every player was involved, nobody was staying home, et cetera, that they would in a full season end up being the second best team. No, but if you were going to tell me pick one team, that could win this whole thing that nobody's talking about. For me, this is who it is. Uh, They have the talent over time, over a tournament to actually win this thing. Now, obviously it would take a, you know, anybody beating North Carolina would be monumental, but uh, I'm with you. I will not be the least bit surprised if they're in the finals. All right, let's move on to the Washington spirit. Uh, So 
kind of interesting because I think a lot of people, if we had a regular season, uh, you know, 24 games, I think a lot of people would be tipping the spirit to be kind of that team that makes a big move this season. Uh, I'm probably a little cooler on them than most. I still have them, I think, like fourth in my power ranking. So, you know, I'm, I'm not totally against them. But I think the problem with having so much young talent is that you get that sophomore slump. And we've seen it time and again, you know, in this league with some players on the scene included, like Ashley Hatch, where they break out that first season and then defenses adjust to them and they have to find, you know, ways to still make an impact. Um, I think this team, their strengths last year are still their strengths this year. I think center back pairing of Paige Nielsen and Sam Staub can't be said enough how good they were last year, especially for players yeah. as yeah. first starters in this league. Midfield is still one of the best in the league with Sullivan, Lavelle, and DiBiase. Um Big questions for me on this team are, what do they do at wide defense, and are they going to score enough goals? I initially had them in a 4-3-3. It's been mentioned they might play 3-5-2, which seemingly makes a lot of sense. Um, but the personnel is kind of a question. Talk of Shanna Hellstrom at right wing back. She played there at Sweden. Uh, again, this ain't Sweden. Uh, so we'll see if she can hold up. I really liked her in college. I think she, I thought she was a greatly underrated prospect. Um and then Tegan McGrady at left wing back is, is kind of the direction they're going to. Um, question is, can she stay healthy? I think the big question, though, is if those options don't work out, what do you do? Um, because there's not a lot of depth there. Most of their other kind of defensive depth options are center backs. So, you know, are you playing someone like Dorian Bailey or, um, or Tori Huster out wide? Uh, and then, then, of course, the other question is, are they going to score enough goals? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. So here's what I would say. First of all, you mentioned McGrady, who we haven't seen for an entire tournament or season yet. Look, she's on the cusp of the full national team. And if McGrady is healthy, um, she's going to be talked about at the end of this. There, there's just no doubt in my mind. I think if it works out with McGrady and Hellstrom, you could have a really good lineup. Uh, the bigger thing for me is this with Washington. Uh, I want to just sort of talk about them as a team. Two years ago, you and I both said they are in massive trouble going forward if they don't get it right with this draft and trades. This is it. They have pushed everything into one year to get it all. And if they get it right, if they get it right, great. If they get it wrong, this franchise falls to the bottom and is done. And we said that multiple times two years ago, and we really challenged whether this was going to work or not. And I want to give credit that this has been fantastic to watch, that I think they've made great moves. I think that um, this is a team that, no, do I think they're ready to win it? No. But this is a, a, a team now that for many, many years can develop and grow together the way Chicago did years ago. Uh, and I think it's, you know, we talk about things that are really done poorly with drafts, with trades, with man, whatever. I think we have to talk about how well this one has been done. I, I just I'm so impressed with them 
going for it and getting it right. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is I think in a tournament like this and in the future also, that team culture is incredibly important. And I think one of the things that's really difficult for some teams in this league is you have 35-year-old world-famous or just league-famous vets combined with, and I'm doing approximate ages here, okay? I'm not talking about anyone specific, with 21, 22-year-old draft picks or even 23, 24-year-old second-year vets. And I think it's very difficult. You're talking about literally different generations. And I think that it is a very difficult thing then to have a level of closeness that um, that sometimes that I just think it's more difficult to have a great culture. I'll leave it with that. You've got a group here who, in general, um, have known each other before, competed against each other, or within a few years. And the people that aren't within a few years are known as tremendous leaders of youth players. And everything I hear is that this team has an amazing culture. They care about each other deeply. They spend all their time together. And I'm not sure in the league right now there is a team that is closer as a team off the field than this group. And, and I, and I want to say that because they got it right. And I think we're going to see in the long run, not yet, but in the long run, we're going to see the benefits of that kind of a culture. So um, off my soapbox about that, but um, I don't think they're ready yet to win it all, but I love watching them play and I'm excited for them. Yeah. And for, for all the talk we, we mentioned uh, about them leveraging their future for, for draft picks that year, they've got yep. two first round picks and a second round pick next year. So they managed to oh, yeah. themselves out of that hole. And I agree. One of their first round picks is Scott Blues. So, I mean, they've done it right. They, it. they can, they, they're going to be in a position if they play their cards, right. To make a big impact in the draft next year. Um, one of, one of the things I forgot to mention that I don't like about kind of the three five two plan is that it basically makes it impossible to get Ashley, Ashley Sanchez on the field because she is an out and out winger, and they you pretty much have to change to a four three three or four four two three one uh, to get her on the field. I would not be surprised if they give multiple formation looks, you know, during the group stage. Um, but I mean, to me, I don't really have that many questions about the defense. I think. Ultimately, the fullbacks will be fine. They're good in goal. Uh, midfield looks pretty good as long as they stay healthy. Um, but are they going to score goals? Uh, Ashley Hatch is, is one of the players in this tournament that a lot of people are going to look to. Is she the player that was Rookie of the Year for her first season in the league? Or is she the player that the past couple of years has really kind of struggled to establish herself as a top-tier scoring option? Um and I mean, if she's not scoring, this team could be in trouble. He wants scoring goals because, you know, they they signed Yokoyama, uh, you know, in the off season. She was she's been really hit or miss for the Japanese women's national team in, in terms of scoring. Uh, but there's not much in terms of proven depth beyond that. So uh, if Ashley has scores, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say I agree with you on that. But here's the thing for me. There are two big ways to try to win games one to nothing. One is sit deep 
and counter and lock down the back line, you know, two banks of four, whatever it is, and find a counter tackle. And we've talked about teams that need to do that. I think Washington is going to try to win one nothing in a totally different way. They could be in a 3-5-2 that becomes a 5-3-2 defensively. But my favorite thing for them would be a 4-2-3-1 and keep the ball. I think this is a team that can win one nothing by having the ball the whole game. You know, most teams that have the ball the whole game are big-time scoring teams a lot of times. I think this team, 60% possession. They don't need a huge amount of shots. They get Sanchez on the field in a 4-2-3-1 and win games one nothing with massive possession. I think that team is built for it, and I think they can do some damage that way. Well, you know, one of the criticisms that did pop up with them last season was they had a lot of possession. It's just they weren't clinical. I don't want to say clinical. They just weren't no, I agree. I precise agree. enough in terms of putting together dangerous chances. So I, I think, you know, ultimately I do think they're going to be one of the top teams in terms of possession, you know, when all is said and done statistically. It's just a question of, are they going to be able to translate that into dangerous scoring chances? So we'll see. I mean, um, you know, they're definitely they're fun to watch, team. man. They're fun to yeah, watch. I mean, they're a team you like to watch just because they've got talent and they play, uh, in a in a way that's pleasing to the eye. So we'll see. I think ultimately uh, they're probably going to end up round middle of the pack, but I think next year could be the year they take a huge step forward because they have those draft picks, and I think. Their younger, uh, the younger players are going to have another year of experience. So, future is really bright for Washington. I, I think they're. I, I agree with you. I think this team maybe more than any other who they play once they get to elimination games is the critical piece because I think they're a team because Lavelle, you know, especially the way she can take over a game. If they have the right matchups, they could do some real damage. But I just think eventually they run into a team that they're just not ready for yet. All right, let's close things out with the tournament hosts, the Utah Royals. Uh, so they're kind of like the mirror version of Washington, whereas Washington has all of those young players. Utah is kind of working with a lot of veterans. Yeah. Uh, so their offseason was just was kind of a mess in terms of Laura Harvey leaving, them having an interim coach with Parkinson for a long time, and then Craig Harrington coming in late into the process. Uh, COVID kind of messed up the plans of signing, signing Marajan and Buhati. That's obviously out the window now, those two having signed extensions at Lyon. Uh, and, and what's left is a squad which I think a lot of people are kind of, I've seen a lot of people predict them finishing dead last. Uh, I'm probably the most optimistic. I think I have them like in six in my power rankings. Um, I think they're a team that needs everything to bounce their way in terms of injuries and avoiding suspensions. Because once you kind of get beyond that first unit, it gets really, really ugly. Um, But at the same time, I mean, there's talent here. Kelly O'Hara, Wayne Elfie, really good. Vero. Uh, Vero is still very much Vero. Uh, we saw that last year. Uh, I think if the offense is a little bit better, I mean, we would be talking about her in, in best 11 conversation. Desiree Scott, ageless wonder, still get holding it down. Um, to me though, the question is at altitude with a lot of games coming in a short time span, 
if this club has to rotate players, which we know they probably are, are they going to be able to hold up? And I just see a lot of players of middling talent level or that just are not ready for this moment. Um, and I'm going to be really interested to see how Craig Harrington plays his cards. You know, does he, you know, hit him up with the Roy Danes playbook where they try to grind it out or does he try to play a little more, um, a little more riskily? So really tough to kind of get a beat on Utah. Uh, I think most people have them kind of ticketed towards the bottom and, uh, you know, it wouldn't sh- surprise me either, but I'm not quite as pessimistic as many others. Yeah, I think they're just two totally different stories about uh, Utah. One is, I really think Harrington's going to be great. I think it's a rebuilding. We've been talking about this for a few years. I think Laura Harvey um, did not leave a lot for the future there for him. Um, and, you know, and, and he's going to have to bring in more and more young players, and eventually they'll take over. Um so I think the long-term story, I think Harrington will be great. And that is for after this tournament. That's one story. The other story is, okay, what do you do now? And, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, and I haven't talked specifics about any other team with the schedule, but Utah starts out with Houston and Sky Blue. And I just think this is a team that needs those first two games like that. I think that um, you're talking about if you're going to say these are the three teams people are talking about in the bottom three to get to play those other two early is huge. I think one, it gives confidence Two, if they get points, they probably can rotate even more and not worry about being in the seven or eight spot that I think most people are going to try not to be in the seven or eight uh, and I think it could be a really nice setup for uh, Harrington and his group. Um, yeah, I, I don't think this group is um, outside of the bottom three at this point, especially in a tournament setting like this. But I think they can score goals, no doubt about it. I think they can find ways to win. But um, really over the span of a tournament, I don't see any real pathway for this team to be like a finalist at all. I just, I, I, it would, it would be really the same way we talked about, you know, um, the rain having that ability. I just don't see that happening here. And then that'll start the, you know, what does Harrington really want to do with this team in the long run? Yeah. And I think one of the big tactical questions with this team is, um, you know, where do you play Kelly O'Hara? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I have her on the front line just because if she's not on the front line, I don't know how they're going to score goals. Um, you know, there have been, you know, I've seen lineups where they have Ciara King, you know, playing at left forward, but that's a big ask for a rookie to come straight into a front line, you know, basically having had no preseason games. Um, but, I mean, I just... I think the back line could be okay. I think Mallory Weber had a really good season in Australia. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I, I have a kind of her pencil in it right back. Uh, not a whole lot of options at left back, if we're being honest. So I think Katie Bowen ends up there. I think, I think Taylor Leach played well in Sweden. Uh, so, yeah, there's some questions, but I, I don't think they're going to be that bad, you know, uh, on the back line. 
midfield. I think Vero is going to be the playmaker. I think Desiree Scott's going to be the yeah. destroyer. I think the question is, what are they doing between those two? Uh, Diallo is kind of the big mystery, you know, coming in on loan. Right. Right. Um, but I just think, I don't think they can afford to play John's daughter there uh, just because she gives it away so often. And this is a team that's going to have to keep things a little bit tighter defensively just because of those questions on the back line. And then, you know, if their defense is leaking goals, I don't think they really have a chance because I, I just do not see them scoring a lot. So here's what I think about Kelly O'Hara. You know, you know how you always see these like youth teams and they have a special player up top and they score a goal in the first half and then they go play in the back the second half to try to hold the lead. I, I really think she's going to do both. Um, I mean, we know if they're behind late, they're going to push her forward, right? So I also think there'll be times that they'll go the opposite direction. And I agree with you. She go, she plays up top. But I'll tell you what, if I'm up one nothing with even at halftime or with 30 minutes left, 25 minutes left, I mean, she's moving to the back. There's no doubt about that. And, and um, I think sharing that and then King gets some great experience. And, and I think she has a tremendous future in this league. You know, you and I have always been big fans. Um, I, I think that it's a great way to, to have Kelly O'Hara do both. And I think she sort of has to for this team to be successful um and it's fun watching her do that so i think it could be that old you know half and a half and just and tactical questions and you know harrington obviously i mean he's been with rory all these years and and everything i know about him he's more than willing to make time and score tactical changes so uh i think it'll be fun to see exactly what she does yeah and then i think i think the final question i have with utah is you know are we going to see abby smith uh, yeah. You know, in goal for for a couple of games at least. Um, he's been the backup there for a while now, and you know, with expansion coming, got to find out. And keep in mind, Nicole Barnhart is, can't play forever. Seems like she can, but she can't. It seems like she can, but <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's it's a case of you know, is Abby Smith the future number one of this team? And if she's not, are you going to look at a goalkeeper in the set point draft class because? You know, you got to get one now because the 2022 class is is really bad with the goalkeeper. So, um, so I'll be interested to see that if if you know Abby Smith plays half the games, uh, you know, in the group stage. But you know, ultimately, I think Utah's this is kind of kind of a testing tournament out for them, where they they need to find out what they have in terms of who's going to be here as a long term contributor, and, and who's not going to be. Um, because, you know, this is not a team that's going to be in contention for a title anytime soon in all likelihood. Um, and, and they've got to find out what are the most or what are the areas that are most pressing going into this upcoming offseason. Yeah, this is, a, you know, a, a, a great we talked about development and like sky blue developing. This is sort of a different developmental moment, I think, for Harrington, you know, being a new coach with an aging group. I agree. This is a wonderful time for development for him to be able to go. Yes. No, yes, no change need to made here. Nope. We're fine here. Uh, uh, and I think actually a tournament setting like that, where you get all these games in and you get all this information is really good for that. So I think that this, this will be really, really helpful for him come draft time and off season trades. All right. 
So I guess this would be normally the area where, like, I ask, you know, predictions. But, I mean, you and I are both kind of adamant that North Carolina is going to win this thing. Um, you want to give a pick on who they're going to who they're going to face in the final if if it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> of course, the the most difficult thing about that is until we see the way the eight are matched up, right? So yeah, yes, we'll do another podcast when it gets to eight. I mean, I would go with Chicago, but um, you know, the rain. I, I I would go fifty fifty right now with the two of them. I really would. But I, I think I think once we see how the bracket is matched up, it just like, you know, it did so much. And we talked about that so much with the Women's World Cup. I think once we see the bracket set up, it will be really fun to make all those predictions. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Uh, I think I think Chicago and rain, you know, flip a coin. Um, but again, you know, with things being so up in the air in, in terms of mashups when we get to the knockout stage can't really tell anything right now well i just think because north Carolina is so dominant i know we don't care who's on that side we're picking north carolina to make the final right and so you know let's say somehow the rain and portland i'm just saying a team and chicago all end up in that bracket of four well then none of them are our choice and and i know that what's coming so um, that'll be a fun one. We could predict, uh, like we did before, like each game going through and we'll have, uh, what, seven games to predict single elimination. All right. Uh, so that is our preview about like 81 minutes, uh, of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Uh, as John mentioned, we will try to be back here at, at some stage, uh you know to to kind of review and then preview hopefully the knockout stage hopefully this tournament uh meets some new eyes uh and excites some new fans uh obviously can't say enough about the the league right now in in terms of getting a tv deal getting all these new corporate sponsors and hopefully players teams put on a good show uh as we get back to it in soccer sounds great can't wait all right, that is it for today. Thank you again for listening to the Woso Independent Podcast. For John Lipsitz, I am Chris Henderson. Uh, enjoy the games, and we will see you guys a little bit later.